in fear and trepidation, knowing that we were going to walk this perilous tightrope again of ad-libbing on radio. And uh, it, was, it, it was a nightmare. In fact, it was one of the most exhausting and intimidating things mm -hmm. that I had to do. Also one of the most rewarding, obviously, because people would talk to you about it and say how wonderful it was and, uh, and what's Peter like. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, it, uh, it, there was more tension in those few minutes after half past seven every morning than in anything else. It'd be easier to interview the Queen than, <laughs> than to swap witticisms with Evans in the morning. It's, we'll obviously be bringing you excerpts of um, Peter's programs. Curiously, there is very little of Peter around, which staggered all of us after the traumatic events of last week. But it would be interesting to compare the voices. 1970, on the 19th of May, this is what the lad sounded like. Morning, everyone. Welcome to the ABC Breakfast Show. Tuesday morning, 19th May, 1970. And uh, if you were with us before the news, you'll know that uh, I got me goggles and ogle boxes mixed up. Never mind, we've sorted them out and uh, put them in the right drawers. I beg your pardon, it's one minute past seven. Oh, here's the... Um, Weather information supplied by the Bureau this morning. Canberra, mostly sunny, 54 degrees, the maximum forecast. Sydney, mostly sunny, 64. Did I say 54 for Canberra or 65? I better do it again. Canberra, mostly sunny, 54. And Sydney, mostly sunny, 64. Melbourne, cool and cloudy, 60. Brisbane, fine, 74. Adelaide, a few showers, 62. And Perth, fine, 74. Hobart mostly fine, 56. Darwin fine, 89. Ten and a half past seven the time and uh, <laughs> here's uh, Dean Martin talking to his chooks. <coughs> At least uh, that's what he's supposed to be doing but to tell you the honest to goodness truth Oh, why should I start that now? Ten and a half past seven. Talking about being back, we hope most of you others are. If you're not, you won't hear this, so it won't make a bit of difference, will it? ABC Breakfast Show, Evans at Halfcock, very much so this morning. Tuesday morning, 19th of May. Welcome back, uh, the rest of you. Coming in somewhere there. Nice to have your company on this uh, Tuesday morning. Well, I don't know, you call this the bottom of the barrel if you like. It's about a ghost. And the report comes from AAP London. A ghost which wanders about a house is making its present felt by slapping bottoms. The ghost loves to smack bottoms and it hurts, says Mr. George Meyer, an investment analyst. It slapped mine while I was shaving in the bathroom, and two days later it hit my wife hard on the bottom while she was working in the kitchen. A ghost, eh? Mm. Looking further on into the situation, I see that the old house where uh, Mr. Meyer, Mr. and Mrs. Meyer lives, where the ghost wanders around, the old house was once a stable. Mr. Meyer thinks that the ghost may be that of a stable lad who used to slap the horses on the bottom, and therefore this strange phenomenon. The only thing is, uh, I'm told, uh, Mrs. Meyer's a bit worried because her withers and flanks are black and blue. 25 past seven. ABC Breakfast Show, Tuesday morning, 19th of May, 1970, and it's time for Smocker. It's 25 past seven. Well, Smocker, of course, I only heard of. Jean, do you remember that? Smocker was great. Mm. Smocker really was. And I Smocker was a cat. Smocker was a cat, mm -hmm. yes. A great favourite for many years. Hundreds and hundreds of, e of episodes done and uh, breakfast show listeners still r ring and write and say, on odd occasions, what about bringing Smocker back? And we have tried, but without success. Mm. Do you think Peter was... I mean, there are a couple of things in that. Um, was Peter risque? I mean, did he just skirt across the thin ice more often than he ever let on. I'd, I'd love to know how many times he was really drawn up in front of management and told off. Well, I don't think many times at all, really. 
Not many times. There were, there were many Dublantons, though, don't you think, Terry? Oh, massive. Uh, there were indeed, <laughs> and there was the celebrated time when um, day after day, for it must have been more than a week, we discussed condoms. Um, until finally, that was one occasion where management did say, look, I think we've heard enough about condoms. So, Peter... Peter explained how they were used during the Second World War by soldiers to keep water out of their rifle barrels. And <laughs> it was watches and smuggle watches. And, and smuggle watches. And uh, yes, there, there were all sorts of uses for them that you would never have thought of. Uh, and uh, and he kept thinking them up day after day, day after day, until finally somebody over, over there in St James decided that the world now knew all that it needed to know about condoms and the uses to which they could be put. Um, so sometimes we did actually actually spin out a joke for probably for a little longer than it was actually designed to go hearing peter do the do the time calls reminds me of the more than one occasion where i've leapt out of bed with my heart beating I, oh 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 it's it's 10 past 8 peter's just said it's 10 past 8 and then in a little while uh, as you were it's 10 past 6 <laughs> And uh, things like that, that, uh, yes. Well, you, There's a need for accuracy in the breakfast session, that's what I'm saying. It, it seems odd, though, to consider that Peter told somebody once that he thought the highest-rating breakfast program you could possibly have was an automatic clock and music, and I suspect he was serious about that. His rating gene was always a surprise to him, in a sense, because he was doing something he loved. Mm. Right from the very beginning, I think, when the ratings first started, I, the, the ABC wasn't considered to be in any way popular and that sort of thing. Then they started the ratings, and lo and behold, Peter Evans and The Breakfast Show are on top. And the commercial stations, I'm quite sure, just couldn't believe it. And they he were, stayed there. And they were mystified also by, uh, I don't even know if you could call Peter's work a style. It was... Well, I've, I've said an, on another occasion in another place, and I guess I'll say again before the end of the week, when people have asked me why was he so popular, the answer was because uh, he was doing something quite extraordinary that no other broadcaster has ever done, and that is he was living his life in front of the microphone. Mm -hmm. And people would say to me, what's he like? And I would say, what you hear is what you get, which is what there is. That, uh, uh, and, and people were mystified. They couldn't believe that a person would actually sit in front of a microphone and engage people all over Australia and on the shortwave service in his life so that uh, we always knew what irritated him, what amused yeah. him, we knew what his latest joy or disappointment was, we knew about his loves, uh, we, we knew where he was living, we knew the difficulties that he was having with the body corporate, <laughs> <laughs> um, we, uh, and the arguments over what he could or couldn't plant in his garden, and of course it was typical of him that whatever the other two people in the body corporate said could be planted in the garden was exactly what he didn't want to. I think they wanted natives, so therefore he wanted exotics or vice versa, and it didn't really matter. You you just knew as a matter of principle that he was going, going to grow something in his garden that the others weren't. Now, the extraordinary thing was that uh, uh, he went on doing that day after day so that every breakfast time it was like having another person in the family who was telling you what was going on in his life. And where most of us, to a certain extent, are acting when we go on the radio, we're pretending to be something else. We're projecting a persona which is different from the, the real person within. Peter never did that, and uh, he, he just sat there in front of the microphone, talked to himself and to the listeners, and uh, engaged us in his life. Now, uh, it was because of that that uh, he was popular because he was different. He was the, he was the only person who wasn't... Uh, the odd thing was, you see, he wasn't being a personality, hmm. and therefore he was the only true personality that you could listen to. But the other thing he did, and perhaps Jean would be able to explain this, because um, it wasn't just Jean. I mean, the other girls who have suffered the brunt of Peter's distinct personality. I mean, the, the public of Melbourne, for example, were outraged at the way he, he treated young Sue. The whispering Sue, I used to call her. I, I tried this image. I didn't really know which Sue it was. And there was Chris... Um, Dem who was it, Chris? Yes, I think Chris. Demacu and Demacu, somebody yeah. called Rowie Ball, who used to oh, be an assistant. a lot over mm. the years. But there was only one bossy boots. <laughs> this bossy boots here. Mm. But you see, what he seemed to do was... Um, he took on the cloak of aggravation that most families have in the morning. 
rather than lash out at each other, I'm quite sure that was for the ire erupted. It was towards Evans. And he was probably perfectly aware of that, was he, Jean? I think so, yes. He was mm. perfectly aware of playing on the emotions and uh, making sure that um, he was, in fact, uh, I think, complaining about many things that people wished that they could complain about mm. as well and, as, um, and get as much out of it as Peter did. And he complained um, in a way that other people perhaps weren't game to complain. Well, but when you look at that complaining, as, as Terry said, it, it was this vast opening of his whole oh, yes. soul. Now, I mean, when he played something like, I've got it lined up, ready to go, the Charles Boyer, Where Does Love Go? There was an awful lot being said when Peter played that. Mm. You explain. Well, I suppose it's about Peter's incurable romanticism mm. and, uh, and his search for the fantasy that forever eluded him, really. And uh, just just the fantasy that he had, this romanticism, and that he was searching for. If the heart is the place where love comes from, then where does love go when it dies? Back to the heart where it came from? or turn into tears in the eyes. But even if one knew the answer, what would one possibly gain? Would the knowledge of where love had gone to ease the heartache? can see. is would he really have coped if he'd been a child boy eh? Jean? <laughs> Terry? No, Barry. I mean Terry. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. It's uh, He was a curious mixture of on the one hand romantic. He could be extremely chivalrous and very gracious in his dealings with women but on the other hand he was essentially a misogynist and but there's probably something in his life story that explains this but one of the funniest mornings that I ever had with him was when I had made a startling discovery <laughs> which was that Richmond Crompton, who wrote the William books, where Peter and I had both learned our misogyny, was a woman. Oh, and I went down with this piece of information to impart to, uh, to Peter, and he wouldn't believe it. He refused to believe it because, uh, like me, he'd been brought up to... Uh, uh, 
to believe that um, that William was really, in a sense, the the archetype of of the boy. Mm. And, of course, he had the particular contempt that we all had for Violet Elizabeth Bott. Now, if you haven't read a William book, you won't know who Violet Elizabeth Bott was, but she She's was she it. was sort of William's girlfriend, and she used to say, if you won't let me play with the, with the outlaws, I'll scream and scream until I'm thick. Um, and... Uh, uh, and because William himself was such a misogynist, when uh, when he and the outlaws f decided that they were going to change their name, they were going to call themselves uh, Herr Hitler and the Nasties, William was William thought this was a very sissy, sissy name, Herr Hitler, so he changed it to Him Hitler, Him Hitler and the Nasties. Now, you, so you see that there, here was this little, this grubby little boy who was the uh, the archetype of every grubby little boy and the prototype of every grubby male. And when I told Peter that Richmore Crompton, I just discovered that Richmore Crompton, who had written these books, was a woman, uh, he absolutely refused to believe it, and I had to produce documentary proof of the fact, because, like me, for the past... Uh, well, for, for both of us, I suppose, for the past 40 or so years, we had, uh, it had never occurred to us that this wonderful creation had come from the mind of, of all things, a woman. But the thing <laughs> is, the two of you probably devastated a large proportion of the male audience who would have been under the same mm. uh, oh, that, illusion. There the may not have been anybody else out there as ignorant as we were, I'm not sure. But, um... So, uh, anyway, that, that's a sort of a roundabout answer to your question of, uh, of how would he have been as a Charles Boyer. Um, I, I'm not sure. He, uh, did Peter really know that he... Did he, in his own mind, lie about things? My children once asked him that. He, he was at our place for a meal, and my children said to him, uh, how, how do we know when you're lying and telling the truth? And he said, don't ask me, I don't know. <laughs> See, the, two, so. the two great unknown quantities, there are still many people who, rightly or wrongly, believe that characters such as Barry and Jonesy in oh. years past Jones just didn't is. exist, that mm. they are mythical creatures. I have to destroy all this now because one of the mythical creatures who's not an ABC phantom at all <laughs> is sitting here with us this afternoon, Barry. Barry, you were the, you were the fount of knowledge of the midday movies. It wasn't Peter. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I thought I was the voice that was never this heard again. No, no, he was actually mouthing it. <laughs> Were you the one who knew all about the movies and Peter just relied on you? Uh, to a certain extent, yes. Um, Peter and I were of an age. As a matter of fact, I was older, so I could boss him around a bit, I guess. Um, we grew up um, in the 30s and 40s when, in our opinion, movies were movies and uh, I in those days was uh, quite a movie goer and I guess I had a, a bit of a retentive memory and uh, used to um, remember the names of stars of films and supporting actors and so forth. I hope uh, if Jeff Dugan's listening he'll uh, forgive me because I'm no film buff. I mean I didn't know the name of the third chorus girl in the second row or anything <laughs> like that which Jeff did but um, uh, I was interested in films yeah. to a certain extent and, and um, Peter would mention a, a film and uh, I'd probably be able to come up with the leading lady or something like that. But the, he'd make, a, he'd make a, a suggestion and then there'd be this wonderful pause that only Peter was allowed to get away with and I always had this vision of you frantically signalling from behind the glass, which you probably were. Uh, well, yes, and would, I, I would press the intercom, which yes. of course didn't go to air but mm. uh, went to Peter. And uh, Peter was a man who never wore headphones. I think I can only remember him wearing headphones on one or two occasions when he was having a, a two-way conversation with Len Grice in the newsroom. Mm, mm. And uh, even then he had to be urged to put it on. We'd try and switch the mic off and listen on the monitor speaker and then switch the mic on again. But they'd both be talking at the one yeah. time quite often, which made things a bit confusing. So we, we did he persuade also, him to When you talk about Len um, and talking to the newsreaders, Gene reminded me of something today. He also got enormous glee out of throwing his colleagues. And I'd forgotten about it, but he threw me one morning, evidently, when girls were first allowed to do news again after the war years. And Jean just, what, what happened exactly? 
Well, I think uh, Peter, well, he loved to throw his colleagues, and of course a female colleague, I mean, was, yeah, was fair, fair bait. Game. Oh, really? And uh, whenever there was a female reading the news, and you, I think, probably with the brunt of his joke more times than anyone else, he would find some incredibly romantic song and play it just before the news, just for the woman who was going to read the news. And uh, have we got the song yet? No, no we haven't yet. We might we play it actually yet. in the second uh, part And uh, on a few notable occasions I, he broke you up completely and of course we fell about with laughter <laughs> pity about the listeners <laughs> <laughs> what about the practical jokes thing Barry? You, you've got something for us um, I don't know how far back this goes uh, this goes back uh, quite a few years and uh, it was back in the days when Jane Clark and uh, Andrew Potter were conducting the 8.30 program mm. and uh, I think it was uh, at the same time, the Valhalla Theatre in Richmond was running, or about to run, a Marx Brothers festival. Right. And Peter received some publicity information from the Valhalla, and included in this was a Groucho Marx mask, uh, the, the glasses, the moustache and nose and so forth. Yeah. And uh, we decided there might be an idea to, to give Jane a bit of a start when she came down for the 7.30 chat. And uh, so when Jane was nicely settled in to her chair, um, Peter decided to give her this surprise and this is what happened. 26 to 8, folks. <laughs> and uh, I, I thought that had... Uh, um, uh, Jane Clark is here. I thought that had uh, gone, you know, for six, that one. I hadn't heard of it lately. Oh, the singing telegram mm, on the scholarship. Mm, mm. Jane, no, the, oh, no, not that. Oh, that's a good look. No, the uh, singing telegram. Um, uh, a few here have had Churchill scholarship and so forth. Mm, mm. Didn't do much good, but still. It's um, 26 to 8. Jane, go on, speak. Oh, well, you, you know, if you're dipping down under places, well, you know, I'm not like sure I... what you're doing. Go on, speak. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. <coughs> on, on the front line this morning. We've got something lined up. <laughs> If you could get out from underneath the table, I'd feel a lot more comfortable. At nine o'clock, Andrew Potter <coughs> is talking to Dr Eric Westbrook, who retires next week as the Director of the Ministry of Arts. In fact, I think he retires on Friday. He's recently, if you, uh, if you read in the papers yesterday, had some pretty scathing things to say about the mentality of some of uh, Victoria's plannings. We'll have him on the program today at nine. He'll be talking to Andrew Potter. And let's see... <laughs> Sorry, folks. <laughs> Beg your pardon, everybody. That had nothing to do with me. That was P. <laughs> Fixed her for the week, that did. <laughs> Sorry, love. Um, uh, I should uh, speak so. But I know you're a good sport. That's why I could do it. But, uh, and the second thing that Andrew will be looking at will be the uh, latest contribution to the continuing war over the effects of cholesterol. <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> I, I had no idea. I had no idea a Marx Brothers face would do this, you know. I'm Where sorry, did you sorry. get that? Oh, somebody sent it. They're doing a Marx Brothers festival out at the, Wal of the Valhalla. You know the uh, North Richmond cinema? They're you all shouldn't doing... put that on somebody oh, at 7.30 in the morning. You're sitting love. here sounding very serious. No, but I thought it would cheer your day up, you know, because you, you reckon you had a rough sort of a week. So I thought, no. I told you that privately. I'm going and you to tell heard, you my problems privately. You heard who instigated the whole thing, so you can go out and beat him on the yes, head now. No, no more hugs for bears. That's <laughs> it. It's all over between us, Barry. <laughs> anyway, Jane, that was the Jane and Pete show. Oh, the, the Pete and Jane show. Oh, well, yeah. Anyway, that was our bit. <laughs> That's absolutely precious. Did anyone actually break him up? No. Uh, I, I think he has been, yes. Um, I, I can't remember who it was, but I can remember him bursting into uncontrollable laughter a couple of times because over Jean, the years. What Gene was just saying, you see, when he says that, oh, somebody sent it in, people were always sending the most unbelievable things to Peter. Now, just a, a matter of months ago, he remember his back was playing up, and I walked into the supervisor's office, and there's this enormous contraption in there, and somebody actually sent one of these... What are they? The uh, oh, slant, stretching, stretching chairs. Upside down. Yeah, it's the things you hang upside hat down. Racks. Like, yeah. <laughs> they must have had to, to hire one of Bob Hansett's budget mm. trucks to get it he, here. He was the he was the great 
I don't know whether this is uh, dishonouring uh, the memory, but he was one of the great Paola um, conjurers of, of the ABC, the only person who could get away with it. But what always astonished me was his monumental ingratitude, because one day he was there. Do you remember him, Barry, saying he, he said, uh, why don't cars come with pumps anymore? I want a pump for my car. What if, what if I get a flat tyre somewhere and I haven't got a pump? I really need a pump. Now, I don't want anybody to send me a pump. I don't want you to just give it to me. I'm prepared to pay for it. I just want somebody to tell me where I can get one of these pumps. And he proceeded to describe the pump in minute detail. The next day a pump arrived, gift wrapped, bow, the whole works. He undid it on air and he said, that's not the sort I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> but Jean, so you, were, you were front of house. You were the person who had to cope with these strange and weird and wonderful packages that would arrive at ungodly hours. Mm. No hot food in the studio. Yes, uh, no hot food. Boxes mm. of cakes, red knickers, garters, that were all put on his head. What, the knickers as well? The knickers as well, yes. <laughs> Michael walked in one morning and there's Peter sitting there with a pair of red knickers on his head. <laughs> Once tried to liberate my cherry liqueurs too. He actually got them out into his car before his conscience overcame him and he brought them back. I mean, you were lucky. Yes, yes. What about the characters he invented though also? Um, Barry, your wife was always called Mouse. Yes. I just wondered if, if all these people in a sense were, were an extension of his beloved Wind in the Willows, which I think he, he did regard as the finest bit of literature ever produced by the English language. No, no, my wife's nickname came from her early school days at MLC when she belonged to what she affectionately calls the gang. And uh, five or so years ago, she had a very serious operation. And uh, I was asked to, uh, by some of the gang, if I would uh, get Peter to send greetings to Mari in Cabrini. Mm. And so I handed him this list of names. And there were names like Nuck and Coley and Boydo and Jude, etc., etc., with love and best wishes to Mouse. And he said, who's Mouse? And I said, that's Mari. And he, he, he at this time, was being, being very kind to us. And um, all the time Mari was in hospital, he used to send her a little cheerio every morning from himself and, uh, you know, built up into, into quite a thing over a fortnight <laughs> and uh, so ever since then to to Peter Mari was, was mouse, was mouse. Yeah. he did love his girls didn't he I mean I'm sure that all the female members of staff on occasions have, have enjoyed what Peter used to call sexual harassment I mean he did to one poor reporter didn't he I'd love to be sexually harassed by you <laughs> oh yes I think he was dying to be sexually harassed <laughs> But he gave you fair chip too, Jean. I mean, you've got a piece for us. I mean, poor love, you, you took an awful lot from that lad. <laughs> oh, well, I suppose I did, but I gave a bit back now and again, just once in a while, not much. So here's Bossy Boots. I don't know her bra size. In fact, I wouldn't presume to ask. But uh, according to her honourable scope, uh, it's a good week for lifting herself. That's, uh, that's... Uh, <laughs> Dare I say it, Jean's forecast. Uh, don't let other people interfere with your peace of mind. That is, don't let the unit get you down. And take advantage of every opportunity. Oh, she does that. Sure enough. Don't brood over your condition. Good heavens. Is she in a condition? I don't think she's in a condition. And all your troubles are behind you now. <laughs> I think that's lovely. Uh, come on, Jean, face the music. All your troubles are behind you, and you need a lift this week, so buy yourself a new suspender belt or something. Look at that, on the back. Jean has just fainted. Bring her around, loosen the clothing. I mean, uh, 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 but it is. It, it's a funny place into all these naked bodies on the back of an inflatable boat. Is it a play on words? Oh, maybe. Uh, yes, Jean pretends not to see those sort of things. Sort of thing. Yeah, poor old Jean's in the tears today. Uh, all certain things went on yesterday, which I will not mention, of course. We're just praying at the moment. Make changes in your associations at the weekends, it says here, Jean. So get away from them horses, or whatever it is you do at the weekends. Well, it's work in the garden mostly, isn't it? Yes, I think so. 
A new attitude could be beneficial, so a little more respect, perhaps. That's right. And a bit more promptness on the telephone. Jim says you're never there when he wants you. <laughs> it's all right. I didn't say that, boss. She's all right. A new attitude could be beneficial. Take no risks where your reputation is concerned. Could you imagine Jean taking any risks with her reputation? Good heavens. Ah, <sighs> oh, dear, 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 dear. No, there's a girl takes no risks. She's got more locks on the door than... Good heavens. Takes an hour for her to open them. <laughs> That's if she lets you in at all. Which is, you know, half a dozen of one and six of the other. Right, Eugene. The phones will be going now full of sympathy for you and saying, how dare he be unkind to you and, and, and why don't you hit him and all that sort of business. Uh, I've got a cold front moving somewhere here. No, it's nothing to do with Gene. Poor Gene. It was a case of surviving if you worked with Peter, wasn't it? It was definitely a case of surviving. You didn't ever take anything for granted. Ever. And the worst part was being asked questions, presumably, outside working hours. Oh, yes, all mm. sorts of questions. Barry's memory has been doing wonderful things while we were hearing about your slight problems that morning. There was a time, and it had something to do with Jonesy, yeah. when, when the Evans was... His equilibrium wasn't quite what it normally was. The, the most famous unheard voice of all. Uh, Jonesy, of course, was one of the original two operators who worked with Peter Rod from the inception of the, his breakfast session. And um, I was also working an early morning shift this particular day um, and was down having a bit of a yarn to Jonesy. And Peter decided to tell one of his cornier stories. And um, this concerned two gentlemen walking down the road and Pierre said, Mon Dieu, Henri. Here come my wife and my mistress. And Henri says, Mon Dieu, Pierre, I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> and Evans, of course, just faded up his music, yeah. which wasn't there because Jones had closed the grammo fader and he'd pushed off a tape with some raucous laughter on it. <laughs> and poor old Pete was nonplussed for a few minutes, <laughs> or a few moments anyway. A lot of his... Um the, the little news items that he used to read came mm. out of Punch. That's right. And mm. he used to recycle the captions of, uh, uh, of the cartoons from Punch. And one became... Uh, one just went into his vocabulary and it came up time and time again. And I don't know whether anybody ever knew what he was talking about. Uh, but he would say, as one hippopotamus uh, would say to the other, feels like Friday. Now that came from a, a punch cartoon with yeah. two hippopotamuses up to their nostrils in the mud and one saying to the other, I don't know, it always seems like Friday to me. <laughs> and uh, so that, that became part of his repertoire. The other thing that I have to confess that I never understood was why the gong at 13 minutes past and 13 minutes to. Well, that uh, I think originated from uh, one of the other announcers or supervisors I have a feeling it may have been John Sloan. It, it was John Sloan, yeah. And uh, he, uh, I, I suppose, it whether he always seemed to finish a record at 13 past or was about to start one at 13 past, and he always seemed to say 13 past 6 or 7, whatever, well, I think it in actually a very lugubrious... It was our programs, Barry. At one, I remember when I first joined here, I thought... There's such odd times they start programs and, and things would begin at 13 mm. minutes past the hour and I could never see any particular valid reason for it and, and I think it was picked up by the announcers and then Pete started using yeah. it. He, he always accompanied it with the gong. Yeah, and then, then it would be, uh, it, it was sort of part of the language after that, I think. Yeah. There's, can I just say that talking about uh, sexual harassment and double entendre, uh, I'll, I'll say something in bad taste, uh, as tastefully as I possibly can and will pass over it, but also um, uh, the standard part of his spiel almost every day was inquiring after the help of Margot's pussy. And you may be pleased to know that in the age on Saturday, uh, in the, the death notices, there was one from Margot's pussy. Oh, I noticed. Mm. So... Um, it took years, you know, to, to get Peter to put himself on show. It was with amazement a couple of years ago that we said, you're joking. Really? Peter had agreed to do an outside broadcast, which for many of us is not a comfortable experience anyway, sitting there like a, the proverbial goldfish. 
But you two, Barry and Jean, were out there at the crack of dawn at places like the Royal Melbourne Show and the zoo. The zoo was a good one, wasn't it? He really loved that. Yes, the first zoo, bro zoo outside broadcast was the one that Peter enjoyed most of any. I mean, he complained, he complained, he'd carry on at the taxi driver, he'd make everybody around just as uncomfortable and as happy as himself, and we're thinking, just keep calm, Peter, keep calm. But I think the key to the zoo, well, was in fact a key. He was really delighted that we had a key to the zoo and we were going to unlock the gates and let oh. ourselves into the zoo and it all fitted in with going up the Amazon and trekking in darkest Africa. It was wonderful and he really, really did enjoy that first zoo. Well, the second one was great too, but the first one was fun and we had our torches and we're going down the path at the zoo. And hearing and all the animals oh, wake up. because amazing mm. place to be because mm. there's screeches and squawks and of course we could develop a wonderful fantasy about I wonder what got out in the night. <laughs> <laughs> One of the more prosaic outside broadcasts really took us back quite a number of years and I, I really remember this and we all said how did he wangle it. He was invited, remember, to go on some special... It was the delivery of the first big, I don't know, it was a jumbo Jumbo, it Qantas? was. Yes. Jumbo. Yes. And Pete was, was on board. This is what it sounded like. Thank you, Simon, very much indeed. And I must admit, I am high over the Pacific Ocean. Ha 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 ha. Don't jump to conclusions coming into Sydney. Yes, we're having a wonderful trip. It's been a smooth one all the way through. Well, I'll let the, um, I'll let the skipper later on give you the details. It's uh, smooth to me. Some people, uh, some people were even sleeping all the way through. We tried it, Stan and myself, but um, our time clocks are out of sync, I think. Mine is, anyway. Uh, you see, the trouble with Stan is he spent all his time on the beach at Waikiki, and I spent all my time... Um, I won't tell you the name of the drink yet, I'll save that for later. It's got a huge chunk of pineapple and cherry in, uh, and it's made of about four different sorts of rum topped up with pineapple juice. And I might add, very little pineapple juice. Let's do the first record. Oh, by the way, we've been up... Uh, the reason we haven't slept tonight is we've been up with a delivery. <laughs> it's the flight, of course. Back to music. That's Pete. He went to Seattle, Washington, uh, and then with Qantas, and then they brought the jumbo back. I don't know whether... Was he keen on, on aircraft? I mean, his, his ships were the thing that you and Barry... Barry and Pete had yeah, the, the had Navy a, in a, common. had a great love of ships, yeah. yeah. I've just actually... I, I'm sort of cutting across myself, but the three of you could probably explain this. I always got the impression that unless you were able to relate to events which Peter was familiar with, real or imagined, Sometimes his tolerance was frayed. I, the, the rapport between the three of you seemed to exist because you had, you yes. could, you had to go along with it. Yeah. Yeah, but you also draw on things. You see, with Terry being that much younger, of course, Peter seemed to be delighted with the fact that you knew about things that he had read about. And if you hadn't experienced them, at least you were able to discuss it with Well, we them. had the same... Uh, I guess we were amused by the same things and mm. were curious about the same things. But uh, asking about his, his aeroplane flights, how many times have you heard him uh, open up the envelope? Oh, this is from Jet Set Tours, adverti advertising their, um, their tour to Tahiti. Uh-uh. The tickets have fallen out again. <laughs> the tickets Who's got always the, the tickets out. always, tickets always fell out. out. Yes, British Airways, Qantas, always somebody had got at the tickets before he did. But um, one one thing, to, talking about being on the same wavelength, was that uh, uh, Peter was... There, there were a number of things that he was. I mean, you could say that he was a misogynist, he was a misanthrope, he was certainly a cynic. He always uh, suspected people's motives, no matter uh, how pleasant the, the deed that they had done might be, he was always suspicious of their motives. In fact, he appreciated a definition of a cynic that I gave him one day, which is unfortunately in this context, but uh, I said that a cynic is a person who, when he smells flowers, looks for the funeral, and, uh, and, and Peter mm. thought that, that really did... Uh, that, that was... Yeah, he... Uh, he accepted that as the definition of a cynic, but he was a pedant, and uh, it was. Uh, and we got a lot of our pleasure out of uh, pursuing pedantry. Now, in the Herald on Friday night, there was a, a very nice tribute to. Uh, and I don't want the Herald to think that I'm being critical because uh, they gave the notice of Peter's death the treatment that it deserved, which was at the top of page one uh, on the uh, on the paper, uh, and then more inside on the editorial page, and it was written by Kim Lockwood, and uh, so, uh, and, and I personally appreciated that. I think that um, 
some of the other newspapers and uh, some of the news services were very niggardly, but I felt that uh, Channel 9 and the Herald uh, did the job properly, and I don't say that because uh, Channel 9 got me to speak, uh, in, in, but they, they had treated the announcement with the respect that it deserved, and, uh, and so did the Herald. But there were two things in the Herald report that I, that if, uh, if Peter had been able to, he would have picked them up, and uh, he would have been able to grumble on for ten minutes almost without taking a breath. He was described as being totally unique. Now, if there was one thing that drove Peter yeah. up the wall, it was anybody who used a qualifying adjective with, uh, with, with unique. unique. And, uh, you know, I, I could hear him saying, totally unique. I mean, either it is unique or it isn't unique. Either you're pregnant or you're not. You can't be a little bit pregnant. You can't be a little bit unique. It's not uh, not somewhat unique or very unique or, or totally unique. And, and uh, so he would go on about that. The other thing that uh, Kim Lockwood unfortunately got wrong was the significance of referring to him as Evans the wireless. Uh, the expression Evans the wireless comes from the practice in Wales where everybody in a town is called either, either Evans or Morgan to identify them by their profession. So the baker would be Morgan the bread or in yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the right. wonderful under milk wood, yes. the, the man who plays the organ in the chapel is Organ Morgan. Yes. And uh, so it was for that reason that he was called Evans the wireless because he was preeminently the wireless Evans. One wonders now, of course, what on earth management are going to do without Peter sticking little pins into them and annoying them. I mean, it was legion, his attitude towards those above us, for example. Right, 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 right. And they're having a meeting today, are they? Do they have a meeting yesterday? And they'll have a meeting tomorrow, and the next day, and the next. Well, I mean, they've got to do something, haven't they? It's like putting a, a testing device in the studio for the air conditioning. It doesn't fix anything, but they're doing something. Looks good on a minute, you see. Let's go and have breakfast at the Hilton International. I believe it's very good, and we can get it off petty cash. Some of our bosses go there, you know, for their meetings. Uh, one, of, one said to me the other day, go to the Hilton for breakfast so that I can get some work done. <laughs> well, as soon as he comes in here, the phones start to ring and he can't get any work done. Cool, I thought this was for me. It says, new man at top for ABC. And I thought, ah, at last... They have come to the party. And I see it's another new position created. I thought we were... Um, we were um, uh, weren't we going to half the staff or get rid of all those positions? They keep creating new ones. Does it mean that us at the bottom here have to quake in our shoes, do we? Hmm. Well, I suppose they've got to put people somewhere. Use different tactics with higher-ups. Oh, does that mean I've got to suck up to them? Gain that promotion that means much to you. Do you think they'd make a position for me in Sydney? Do you think they'd make one for me, for a new position? Hmm. Like advisor to the president or something, or um, the chief's uh, memo carrier, or someone like that. Hmm. Now is the right time to go ahead much faster. <laughs> ah, perhaps it's the best place the best time to apply for a lighthouse position. In some ways, you know, that sort of position would have appealed to Peter. In his mind, mm. Mm. I think he would have missed the people, missed the radio. We know how much we're, we miss them right now and how much we will in the, in the future. But for those of you who actually worked with him, Barry and Terry and, and Jean, it makes it very difficult for you going into another position with somebody different, I suspect. Well, yes, it does. One tries to, you know, say that it doesn't, but you have to think like this. You can't say it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Did any of you ever sit in on a managerial meeting when he was present? I mean, all that waffle on air, did he ever actually have the courage to say that to their faces? I suspect he did. Barry, did he? Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised. He but did. he didn't have to, you see. He no. communicated with them uh, as, uh, as he the did program. with all of us mm. over the program. Mm. One of the most difficult things that I ever had to do was when I decided I didn't want to continue with the morning program mm. uh, was to tell him that uh, I, I had to decide... Once I decided that I didn't want to do it, then uh, the very first thing that I had to do was to tell Peter that I wouldn't be coming in again at half past seven, and that was one of the most difficult uh, things for me to do because by that time... Uh, 
it had uh, it had taken on uh, a sort of uh, a life and a dimension that we I suppose hadn't anticipated mm. at the beginning. Mm. But uh, to, to referring back to what I was saying about pedantry, uh, how much pleasure we got out of pursuing uh, the these sorts of lines of, in, of pedantic inquiry and criticism. Uh, <clears throat> one morning we both received a copy of a book that was called something like uh, a, a dictionary of useless words mm, uh, mm. that you'll never be able to find anywhere in a conversation where you want to use them and we both discovered the word cacocracy which meant government by the bad and uh, and that sent us off on a line of inquiry because what is the word that means government of the good and we couldn't find one <laughs> and we asked people and everybody rang up and said aristocracy but aristocracy doesn't mean that aristocracy means government by well, an hereditary elite, uh, elite. and um, there, there didn't seem to be any uh, any antonym for cacocracy but I mean, they were the sorts of things that that we enjoyed to discover discover a word like that Pete it? would have enjoyed words like something I came across the other day and had to check sesquipedalian Yes. Which, is that the love of, of long words when it could be much shorter? Mm. Can we just sort of take ourselves to this decade? Now, I'm not sure exactly how long ago this was recorded, but it is the 80s, and it is Pete. It's um, Mozart and Liszt, is it? Madam, I shall be most pleasured. Ah. As I was talking about this uh, uh, maintenance men at work frequent stopping, road sign, it always reminds me of danger men at work. Um, I don't know whether it's danger men at work or danger men at work. Um, it's rather like uh, uh, those signs you see like um, driving passions is my favorite. That was a sign I saw in Queensland. School crossing is a good one too, if you think of a verb. There's one in Toronto, Canada recently, where a man was fined uh, for parking, because the, the, the sign said, uh, fine for parking. <laughs> and uh, they thought, well, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. So he parked, and he had to pay a fine. And quite rightly, he was surprised. <laughs> but uh, dry, I don't think you can beat driving passions. Uh, one of the fellows even had a red light blinking outside. <laughs> oh, Always remember the story of the English lady who saw passion fruit for the first time in a fruit salad and thought that the mice had been at it. I was left with meat egg on mine face, which is not an unusual condition for me. But still, do you know I've seen little tots with motor bicycles? Actually, they're not riding them on the road, of course, but their dads take them around in a panel van, I think. I was at a picnic spot some years ago, and I remember panel van drawing up. It was near the Healesville Sanctuary, as a matter of fact. Rather nice spot with a little uh, rock-strewn stream, which was nice for picnicking. Outside the reserve, not inside. And this panel van drove up, and these proud, beaming parents brought this screaming, precocious brat out, and his three-wheeled motorbike. And he was about four, I think. I very soon put a stop to that, of course. I went up to this fellow, and I said... I wish to speak to your father. And this great, huge man came out, and I said to him, Good day, sir. Can I help you off with the motorbike? News is coming up, folks. And uh, I bet they say total anarchy again, which is bad English. It's rather like quite unique, which is also bad English. But uh, I'm afraid that's the way the language goes these days. Have a nice day, people. It's a quarter to eight. <laughs> it was sad when you heard that time call. It's a quarter to eight. We've got to wait till tomorrow to hear the same thing. My sincere thanks to Jean James. Jean, who, of course, was Peter's assistant for how long, off and on? Half, seven years, on and off. Six and a half, mm. seven. Mm. Yeah, a long time. Terry Lane, of course, who, with that half past seven spot, established himself as part of Peter's history. And dear Barry, who just sat there and smiled. And I, you see, he needed you to work to, didn't he? I guess he did, yes. Mm. He uh, smiled. I never saw Barry smile. I, I smiled once or twice. Did. Didn't I? No. no, no sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mary, for the pleasure of being able to be in a, mm. a program like this for one of the uh, people in radio who I really admired. I don't suppose I ever got to know him. Who of us did? But uh, I enjoyed his company for, for many, many years and enjoyed his programs even when I wasn't working with him. Mm. Yes. That's perhaps the greatest thing you can say, that we listened when we weren't on duty. Yeah. Yes. Mm. So long to you. Got to be
be on the road again So long to you Got to hitch up my load again It's been great to meet you here Right good company and right good cheer Now then, my lads Anyone like the company of Night and day, nothing ever worries me. Nights are cold, nights are cold. Maybe I am cold, I'm going old. Yet I try, and the pals I meet make it good to be alive. Comrades, farewell. What if we never meet again? The memory. I've always been a rover, summer and winter too, wandering the wide world over, ramping the whole life through. But when I start my journey at the dawn of another day, I gave a health to great highway so long to you got to be on the road again so long to you got to hitch up my load again it's been great to meet you here right good company and right good Government of Victoria, Mr. Roger Shipton, MHR, who represents the leader of the federal opposition, Mr. Andrew Peacock. Mr. Jeff Kennett is here, leader of the opposition in the Victorian Parliament. Also, Mr. Peter Ross Edwards, the leader of the National Party in Victoria. And from ABC Management, Mr. Malcolm Long, the director of radio, Mr. Malcolm Rowlands, the general manager for the ABC in Victoria, Mr. Peter Loxton, the radio manager for Victoria and uh, Mr. Tony Wells, the manager for television in Victoria. Terry Lane and Michael Schildberger, who worked on air with Peter at half past seven each morning. And Barry McLaughlin and Mr. Ray Moore, who are technical operators who've worked with Peter for a number of years. The clergy and choir now enter the cathedral from the south transept led by the crucifer and followed by the choir the verger the presenter the dean and the archbishop Center moves to his stall on the left side of the choir. The dean escorts the archbishop to his seat in the presbytery, which is just in front of the high altar communion rails. And the dean moves to his stall on the right. Congregation.